Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1475, entitled, There's No Place Like Ekholm, <laughs> <laughs> our podcast, ti- podcast title is Pod Things. I thought that's exactly what I had to, Rob, we thought alike on that one. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Wow, here we are in the new year, 2024. Can you believe it? I certainly can't. Well, my jetpack and my flying car and my robot butler, all those things. Everything we were promised from the movies. Yes, yes, got them all. <laughs> well, you, actually, not not too far off. You can have you can have a drone car that yep. flies. You can have a robot. To vacuum cleaners yep. and robots that will serve you drinks. Yes, true. But, but they're actually n- nothing special. They're like little trays that yes. on wheels. I've definitely been to restaurants where they just have him putter along and then usually a serving staff member has to come along and kind of take it off the tray anyway. So, And you can have a jetpack too. You can. I've seen those. One that um, Adam Savage uh, incorporated into an Iron Man 2 reproduction armour. Oh. It looked incredible. You know, it's actually able to fly in that. It looked, looked like he couldn't walk for about five steps. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, here we all are in 2024. Well, television. Yes. Um, now, I, I've got some news. I was looking at uh, Disney Plus's lineup mm-hmm. yesterday. Now, um, you can watch the assembled, and that's pr- presumably assembled by the Avengers, television shows and movies in a variety of curated volumes, right? Yeah. Um, and you get feature character collections, the Infinity Saga, the Multiverse Sagas, origin stories, animation, whatever, you know. Yeah. But there's also one that you can watch in timeline order. <gasps> Ooh, Ooh, okay, yeah. Yeah, now, okay, so no big, you know, no. I think that. People but, have been doing that on their, you know, on their yeah, own forever. Yeah. It's just helping you out. But recently, Disney okay. Plus quietly added to that order, although they've been on Disney Plus the actual shows for a while, the Netflix Marvel TV shows. Oh, I thought that was all we all accepted that they were off doing their own thing on the side. Well, they're in the canon now. Interesting. So after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, we have Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and mm-hmm. after Ant-Man, the first movie, we have yep. Luke Cage, yep. Iron Fist, and then The Defenders. Yep. Where they're all munched together. Okay. And Punisher comes after the Black Panther movie. So they're actually there now. Interesting. Yeah. Ironically, this makes the new Marvel Cinematic Universe complete timeline book obsolete. (laughs) (laughs) Except, and that's already because it's just come out. Yeah. Except that that, it does include some non-Netflix generated appearances by Matt Murdock. Uh, Daredevil in mm-hmm. Spider-Man No Way Home, yes. and, of course, the She-Hulk series. So he gets into that beforehand, but now they're going to have to go back to the next edition and do it all again. Yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> well, yeah, because suddenly Disney and Kevin Feige, I suppose, they've changed their mind. I think it's a great idea, actually, because those Netflix series, you know, apart from Iron Fist, um, they're all superb. Yeah. You know, I thought they were great. Okay, so they're now canon. So speaking of the the echo of a canon, We've got the Echo series that's just dropped. And it's the latest from their Marvel Spotlight, which is this new thing that they're trying to do where basically it's meant to be series that you can watch as a standalone. So it is kind of, you'll see the little 
credit card thing come up at the start yep. and you'd be like, what's Marvel Spotlight? Well, that's what it's intended to be, yep. which is a bit ironic because already we've seen uh, Maya, who is Echo, in the series Hawkeye. It's already come out and it is somewhat of a springboard for the new Daredevil that they're going to be doing. This is like the, uh, the 20th Century Fox um, Searchlight brand, isn't it? Yeah, it like could that. be, maybe, maybe, because they're all one thing now. It's just one big yeah, <laughs> monster. Disney, you know, the mouse factory. You know, that's, I think that's what's going to happen to Earth one day. It'll just be, it'll just be called Disney. <laughs> <laughs> be like Disney and Unilever. So basically that's kind of they, what they're trying to do with Echo is make it pretty accessible for those who have not seen much prior or are not across the full timeline and the ordering and so on. Yeah. And you can sort of tell that from the very start where they show you the bits of Hawkeye which it is set five months after the conclusion of Hawkeye, mm-hmm. uh, bits of Hawkeye that you need to know about. Um, so there's no pre-reading or pre-watching for this one. Oh, just a, as an aside there, Jeremy Renner is actually acting again now oh, after yes. that horrific snowplow accident. Yeah, that, he, that took him out for a while, didn't it? Very like he, tragic. He basically he, got run over by a tank. He was not looking well. I think good on him for getting back up on his feet. Mm. Um, so this one, Echo, is the 10th TV series from the MCU TV series. So uh-huh. you had already just mentioned those Daredevil, Jessica Jones or whatever. That's not really counted in in technically in the timeline, I guess. Um, it's on Disney Plus where you can find everything else. And it is a limited series, so it's five episodes. And they range mm. from like 50 minutes for the first one because that's really getting you into up to speed. And then about 35 minutes is the shortest episode. So it's five episodes the shortest of the series? I'm pretty it sure. It does. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And it was actually filmed like they had eight episodes originally and then they did a whole bunch of reshoots. I don't think it was hanging together properly. Yeah. So we probably got a completely overhauled five-episode version. And you can tell very much yes. from the pacing that it is designed to be a limited series because it's kind of one long movie and that's how the pacing is designed and a couple of times um, I just binge watched two or three episodes all at once yes it's very easy to keep rolling on through and the way the kind of climaxes and tension happen it's very much across episodes so each Mm. episode doesn't have its own arc necessarily so they are all out now so that's going to really help you in watching them all at once and this is actually a change because they used to do week to week yeah um and now they've decided i mean i guess they're really giving it a bit of an overhaul they're doing things a little bit differently with these so it'd be very interesting to see what else is set to happen in this spotlight in the wake of the troubled year that the mcu had last year yes indeed so it'll be interesting what 2024 has in store but i do think we're off on the right foot uh, with Echo here, uh, it's creator, the creator and showrunner is Marion Dyer. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, she's worked before on Better Call Saul. That's probably the feather in the cap there. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> and it was written alongside Amy Rodden. And Amy Rodden has quite a few writing credits and she usually writes with another partner. She has a writing partner, but she's sort of come along on board here to help write the scripting of this limited series alongside right. the showrunner. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Sydney Freeland, who's kind of heading up the directing effort. So Freeland has been directing episodes of wider range of uh, TV shows, including Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Oh wow! Reservation Dogs, which is very relevant here, yes, and yes. you can see some cross pollination of actors as well from that series. Fear the Walking Dead, things like that. So oh my god, plenty of chops in terms of the directing of TV episodes there. So. I think the thing about the Echo series, and if you're not familiar with, I'm not familiar with the character from the comics, but I'm just familiar with her appearance in Hawkeye. What were you coming to Echo? Did you have previous baggage that you, did you know and 
this character very well? A little, um, but only because I've been gaming with the character. Ah, yes. <laughs> Her costume is is just been changed actually in the uh, in the game to reflect I bet. the I bet. yeah the television show. <laughs> and of course, I'd seen her in Hawkeye. Yes. So uh, occasionally, I've run into her in the comics, sort of peripheral, basically that sort of street level character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's probably a good distinction to make here. As with a lot of the TV shows, we do get that street level stakes yeah. energy that goes into it. So we're not talking big cosmic going into outer space, overpowered kind of not story. Yet. Not yet. <laughs> overpowered storylines. It's much more about, you know, crime gangs, family dynamics city streets, mm. all of that kind of thing. And we've seen that in previous um, Marvel TV series and this is kind of carrying on the legacy that we might have expected from your Daredevil, from your Hawkeye. Her power set in the comics, um, she's called Echo because, well, obviously riffing off the fact that the character is deaf, yes. but they're also riffing off the, that she is able to uh, copy Mm-hmm, mimic mm-hmm. the powers of whoever she's fighting. Rather like Taskmaster, actually. Yeah. Uh, but she yeah, actually okay. retains them. It's interesting because they've scrapped that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in a way, in a way. But they've also retained it in a way too. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm. Yep. I think that is an important thing to say about the character of Echo and it will sort of be an indication going into this series of what to expect. So she is a deaf character. She's also an amputee. We get the backstory of what happened around how she lost her leg. Uh, Lower right leg below the knee. Yes, exactly. And, of course, as with many of these things, it starts to become in some situations an asset for her. So she knows exactly how to use her prosthetic leg in fights and in other cases where maybe if it was – a flesh leg, it might she might end up in a bit of trouble getting it stuck somewhere, but because it's the prosthetic. Like Misty Knight. Yeah, okay. With her bionic arm. Yes, exactly. What actually like what she should really get is some Stark tech. Yeah, well, I mean who knows what's gonna happen. Ah, down the well line. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's important to note too and that influences her fighting style and some of the action scenes is how she kind of her martial arts body language and how she attacks people. And a huge part of the series and something I didn't necessarily know going in is that it was really going to be a strong representation of the Native American community mm. of Choctaw. So Maya's from an area in Oklahoma and we do spend quite a lot of time there and a lot of the actors and characters represented there are actually Native American actors. So, I mean, we're yeah. finally starting to get these things right, thank goodness. And a lot of these actors have appeared in things like Reservation Dogs or Killers of the Flower Moon, um, other pieces of media that have yeah. come out more recently focusing on a Native American experience. We have travelled away from the old, bad old days of Hollywood where we just get a whole bunch of white actors and put them in loincloths and, and yeah. do some red makeup and Just you know. some, yeah, really, really offensive stuff that used to happen. And I think as well as you know, casting this correctly of the people with the lived experience uh, in the creative team, the writing, directing, music even. So the Mm. music um, is composed by Dave Porter. He looked to Choctaw Choctaw tradition to influence parts of the music and the score to make sure that that was reflected because this whole piece of work is really intended to um, embrace and showcase that community in a really authentic way. And I think that was really important to the creative team. And it does. It is the equivalent in in terms of what we've just described as a cultural um, ethnic package. It's basically like Luke Cage. It's got that same format in a lot of ways and it works terrifically along those lines, at least as Mm. far as I can say, uh, as obviously as not a Native American. Yeah, yeah. 
I think I think you can see the effort behind it that they're trying to really, mm. um, you, you know, show it in a really truthful light. Now, this is not the first time for Marvel to have Native American. Uh, Native North American characters in the comic books. There's at least 13 or so of them, uh, from Wyatt Wingfoot to uh, Jesse Black Crow, mm-hmm. who actually was a, is a construction worker who was a para, paraplegic as well. So you know there is a there is a, a bit of a form there, um, and for uh, for a wonder, most of those characters are actually superheroes oh, as opposed okay. to villains. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so. This, Echo is a bit of an interesting one because she's really embroiled in Fisk's crime ring. So, of course, we met... Ah, uh, Wilson Fisk. Wilson Fisk, played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh. Iconic in the role. Oh. <laughs> he had a great time. I've seen little snippets of him saying he loved it and was just really hoping they'd get a call back. And him and Charlie Cox would be like, no, they're done with us. Like, the series over. <clears throat> We're not coming back. And Apparently, they phone called each other and they yeah. squeed. <laughs> Which and I mean I'm so happy that he's back in this. He's a great presence and such a threat. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Let's let's before we sort of dig into a bit yes. more about the story and and other things. Let's hear a little bit from the score. Mm. So I actually want to play a little bit of music called Ahoyo Itnamoma Ikayana, and that translates to She Who Remembers All. So we'll listen to that, and this is from the score to Echo. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Did you know that China Mieville and Mm. Keanu Reeves are now writing a book together? (gasps) (laughs) What can't Keanu do? I'm here for it. I'm here for it. That's great news. Yeah, it boggles the mind. We've interviewed... China Mieville twice on, on Zero G, but never Keanu Reeves. Well, never say never. Yeah. Uh, that track was Ahoyo Itnamoma, and that Ikeyana, sorry, and that translates to She Who Remembers All, and that's a piece of music from the television series, television series Echo, mm. which has a largely Native American-led cast and takes place in Oklahoma and sort of covers a bit of the community and culture around the Choctaw Nation. Mm. It is a – you can see that it's, that it's had some – turbulent uh, problems in production because, mm-hmm. of course, they, they filmed most of it and then they remade it. They remade it, reshot parts. Yep. I actually think, given that that's really hard to do, mm. um, and I actually wondered, do they pay the actors again for doing that? They must oh. do. It depends on the contracts, I, yeah, guess. I guess. Maybe reshoots are included. Yeah, it'd have to be. Mm. But, and it's a substantial. But obviously less than having to do, like, 24 episodes reshooting. And I do, Yeah, and I do think that, I think this is kind of an important piece for them and they would have wanted to get it right. Well, basically, this is, a, this is the story of the character Echo, Maya Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, and she has gone away from New York from all of the events of Hawkeye yeah. um, and, and she's returned to her hometown in Oklahoma yeah. where the winds come sweeping down the plains, but where there is a, a Wilson Fisk operation, mm-hmm. a shipping operation. Yeah. Actually, we do find out what they are shipping in the story. Mm. It's not a good re- – it's not relationshipping. It's something worse, uh, as you would expect from Mr. Fix and his expect nefarious plans. Mm. Um, he's just as – look, he's basically psycho. And this is what's interesting, I think, is he's he's also got that 
tender in air quotes side that you can see that comes out a bit with Maya. Yeah. Because he does have, you know, she calls him uncle, then they do have a bit of a familial relationship in a way. But it's a twisted one. It's very twisted. And there's a lot of game playing and there's a lot of lying. And also because Maya basically, it goes into this backstory, it's no secret, that she becomes embroiled in crime rings and Mm. it's also because of her father's affiliation with um, a life of crime. And so she's really from a very young age thrown right into this environment, right in with these people and... Yeah, just this interesting push-pull and her she's got a lot of anger and bitterness and I think that's really what drives her. And part of the whole story of her going back to her roots, back to her community and seeing people from her past who she left behind quite literally yeah. is about her starting to think a bit about, okay, who really am I? How does my history But she's impact? trying to avoid that too. She's, oh, she's a she's, tough customer. Yeah, she's a tough one. She's very <laughs> reluctant. So she's sort of suspended between the big city of New York and, the, and it's organised crime there. Yeah, yeah. And no one is as organised as, as, as the kingpin. Oh. And, and her hometown and, yeah. and the roots there. So this is also ties into her power set, shall we yep. say, within yep. the story. Mm-hmm. And very well does it tie in. Mm-hmm. And this is explained in some of the – each episode has a, what we call it, a cold opening. Yep, yep. And – they are very, very well done. By the yeah. time they get to that fifth episode, they're just they're just rolling along, and they're they're actually little mini movies in themselves. Yeah, really lovely, well produced snippets. Mm. I, I particularly like one um, uh, set in the uh, the nineteenth century, mm-hmm. which they do in black and white because yeah, of course that's what yes, you have to do. Yes. And it's about uh, a, a tribal policemen. Yep. Um, Back in the day, in the Western sort of era. Yeah, it's a faux silent movie style. Yeah. Maybe they could have had a few more scratches on the film and <laughs> yeah. done, it, done it with like the, uh, the flickering Yeah, the like gate. of the, of the <laughs> projector. Mm. But, you know, um, so I thought all of that's very – we've already said all of the, uh, the, the Native American procedural looks to me very authentic. Yeah. Uh, from from music to costumes, mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of, and this is the thing: none of those feel tokenistic. You know, the costuming is very important to the story. Yeah, uh, the music is too. Yeah, because they actually have um, what they call a powwow. Yes, uh, which is kind of like a, a fair with uh, dances and yep. music and 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 a lot of religious significance mm-hmm. as well as cultural and and the the local um, aspects of it too. Yeah. Yep. Plus, it's a fair, you know, like yep. a state fair. It's good to be a bit of a celebration, a gathering, yeah, some yeah. fun, yeah. Yeah, so all of that's actually integrated so well to the plot. Yes, yeah, yeah. I really appreciated that. It also actually does tie into the, the Marvel Universe in subtle ways. Yep. Like, they talk about cheap knockoff products being made in uh, Marijapur, yep. uh, yeah. which we've seen in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and so on. And there's a Roxxon petrol station uh. in the town too. <laughs> You know, little Easter eggs. Little Easter eggs mm. as well. Um, I did like the uh, the inclusion of um, certain characters, or certain character from the NCU, yes. um, uh, which everybody knows about anyway. But we won't give it away here. Uh, who apparently, uh, r- rumor has it that that character is looking for another character from the Netflix series. I did hear that, and I'm yeah. hoping to see a bit more when we get more of more of these TV series coming out. Yeah. I think obviously the really strong dynamic between Fisk and Maya, and you see the, uh, I mean, you know, Maya ends up leaning upon her family and her culture, 
which is something that Fisk tragically, and it is a tragedy because he's a victim too, only knows in a very possessive, negative way. Yeah, You can yeah. see it. He's got this whole toxic backstory. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's that's not just an incidental thing. Yeah. It's absolutely integral to the plot and, yes. the, and the resolution of the story too. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I, I will say, like, I had... I, when I first heard Echo was announced, just from her appearance in Hawkeye, I wasn't that interested in the series. It wasn't necessarily one I would be definitely going to watch. But when I learned a bit more about it and that it would actually take place exploring her Native American roots and that mm-hmm. it wouldn't just be another... I mean, I love a good, gritty, organised crime New York City story, but I'm ready for something different. And so it was really refreshing that it was going to be both that element. Yes, there's plenty of that crime-fighting stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but that it would also be you know, about small town, about family, and it would be a representation, which I, you know, things like in the show Resident Alien, I really liked all of the elements that explored a bit of Native American of the area. I must watch more of that. Yeah. Third season. (laughs) Um, So I do think that it, it uplifted it for me a bit in terms of my interest. And another thing to note too, because of course the character of Maya is deaf, Mm -hmm. the sound design and the way music is used and the way ASL is used is a huge part of how they tell the story. Mm. And I really thought it gave them some good opportunities for innovation in some of the fight scenes and, and how she uses what someone might perceive as her weaknesses to turns them into a strength. which is something she's really done and she's such a strong character and she knows exactly how to interact with her environment and how to, you know, adjust it to make it benefit her. They were using some Choctaw uh, hand language signs as well to blend in. So it became became sort of a code. Yeah, I mean, I loved that. And seeing, you know, I think because she as well in in her hometown, there is another character who also... Um, is deaf. And so it makes sense in a way why all of the characters do know this and can communicate with each other in sign language. And that is even expressed in the way Fisk manages it too. Yes, it's interesting, In a very Fisk-like way. Yes, yes. Yeah. But it is it is violent. So I, they do have oh. a little thing at the start because I, I think one of the things, and we've touched on this, I won't de- delve into it, all these series have such a different vibe and, you know, some are much more family-friendly. And this one, you know, there's some violence it's a bit grittier there's fighting there's blood it is family friendly (laughs) it is but you know the family but it's the family (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but um... speaking of you know and i'm often conflicted by this oh yes you know it's very gory and gritty and that uh, and and violent and and you think is that a selling point really i mean you've got to stop and think about that sometimes yeah i mean Uh, it and give it, give it its consideration. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I do think it makes sense for it to be the way it is. And it's always deployed in a very specific way. I think it always fits into the plot. And mm. it's, not, it's not sort of gratuitous by no. any stretch. Yes. The, the fight choreography I thought was actually really good. It was amazing. Um, best use of, of a prosthetic foot that I've seen. If there's an <laughs> Emmy for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so that the fighting styles... Pivot around that too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you know that she has fought Daredevil before, and to a to a standstill, which is really yeah. unusual. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, like, actually, it's funny because uh, it's a uh, uh, Charlie Cox is Daredevil and uh, Aquila Cox. Is yes, yes. Maya, but there's no you know <laughs> no, no, relation. no relation. Well, Alakia as well. So she plays Maya, and she herself is also Native American. She is deaf, and she is an amputee. Mm. So I think. She really saw this. She wanted to use this as an opportunity 
to advocate for the deaf community. It's her first acting role. And I think in light of that, I mean, she's incredible. She says so much with her expressions. She's amazing to watch. She's got such good on-screen chemistry. And I think, yeah, I, I really had very low expectations of this, I'll be honest, but it was pleasant surprise. I had none because we haven't interacted much with the character, so well, you know. it could have gone any which way, right? Yeah. Oh, one of the ca- you know the ensemble cast, you know, yes. as, apart from uh, Vince and uh, <laughs> yes, you know, it's, the obvious one. Who was actually yeah. really good in this? You can see him developing the character of Fisk, yeah. Uh, yeah, and pushes it so much forward into it. But at the same time, he's got that whole toxic family, and I actually do feel sorry for for. The boy, the child that Fisk yeah. was, for what's happened to him and the way he's turned out. Yeah, you know, without at all res- resiling from the fact that I'd throw him into jail in a, a heartbeat. A hot, yeah, hot yeah, second. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Devery Jacobs plays a character mm. called Bonnie, and we have recently heard her before in the What If episode, where she plays Kahoti in uh, the uh, second season of What If, uh, a Native American superhero in yeah. the seventeenth uh, century. Uh, although she was actually um, from the uh, Haudenosaunee Confederacy, which is sort of upstate New York kind of area. Uh, Mohican will go with, oh, yeah. with that. Yep. I think actually um, uh, Alakia is also a Mohican from oh, that yeah, area. Think, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so we, there's that. She's she's in there as a first responder. We've got a great sidekick who uh, goes by the name of Biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got... Um, <laughs> uh, Maya's grandmother, yes, who's absolutely a force of nature. Oh yeah, she's. You can tell, like, she's Maya's grown up having these really tough role models and yeah. strong people around, and you know, you automatically, I think, in just a few scenes, you get a real sense of this place as a home and the relationships mm. between all these characters, like Chula, the grandmother, yeah. as you mentioned. We also have Scully, who is played by Graham Greene, and he has been in, he's been acting for a really, really yeah, long yeah. time. Yeah, a lot of things, actually. Um, he's been in loads of TV and film. So he's a grandfather-type figure, and he plays a big role in kitting Maya out with, you know, her actually, bits and bobs. And Actually, I think he is a grandfather. He's he's <laughs> dated the grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So um, I think... He's a bit of a rake, isn't he? <laughs> he's, he's so great. It's so much fun, like, having some of those more lighthearted, like, Biscuits and Scully in there amongst, you know, your more serious... Because Maya's a very serious... Oh, she's... She's very uh, but she actually, buttoned up. The more you watch her, you actually um, plug into her particular singular sense of humour. Yeah. And and you begin to think, she's having a lend of you there. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> That's a jab at you. Absolutely. Um, and I think one more we should mention is Henry. So he's played by Chasky Spencer. We've seen him before. He was in the Twilight films. And oh, okay. He was in Jessica Jones, actually. I'm oh, not really? sure what role, but he's also kind of a little bit embroiled in some of these criminal under, go, you know, goings on, underworld. And um, obviously he starts to play a big role in Myers. Isn't it um, interesting how Fisk's tentacles sprawl all the way out to Oklahoma? It's not just New York. And the fact that you can have people working for Fisk. They're not bad people as such, but you wonder about the life choices and just the way things have worked out for them. I mean, you could end up working for Fisk's shipping company to start with in some small town Mm. and not have any idea about the criminal connections until you start opening the crates. Well, (laughs) this is it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think kind of final thoughts. What what did you kind of take? You've watched the whole thing now. I, I, full disclosure, have only watched the first three 
but it's actually a nice little interval point after the end of episode three and you can kind of go, oh, okay, I see. We're really getting into I I, I loved drama. it, actually. I really enjoyed it. You can see where the, where bits are stitched together, but they're yeah. good stitches. Yeah. They're good, tight stitches. Uh, the resolution, which I won't give away, I thought actually works well. Yeah. It's un, a little bit unusual. Okay. But I like that. And yep. it, it does... F- it does fit very well with the way they develop Maya's character. Yep, yep. Um, I thought the, the sense of location was great yeah. too. Everybody makes sense where they are. We the love family, that. family, the, yep. the skating rink. Yes, <laughs> yes. Some great opportunities for some good music drops. Yeah. You know, a great setting for a fight scene, all yeah. of that. Like, tick the boxes. I, yeah, I mean, so straight out of the gate. Look, look, the last things that we heard from Marvel last year was the What If series, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and now we're straight into Echo, so I'm I'm happy really. <laughs> I I liked this a lot. I think, like I said, I've not finished it yet, but I think the acting's great. I love seeing mm. the story, like the setting and story, and the characters. I'm already very invested. Yeah, and you know, it's the format is interesting because, like I said, I'm at the end of the third episode, and it just feels like I don't know the pacing across five episodes is so unusual. Mm, it um, is. It is, and maybe that's partly an artifact of of the dislocation and the disruption that happened to the show. But and, it might also be just really good writing. And this is it. I'm happy to just go along for the ride. I Oh, yeah. and, and, and here's, a, here's another thing. I could see this getting a second season. Mm. Uh, but okay. I can also see the character of Echo lining, lining up with some other characters, some other younger characters. Gotcha. So if we go for a young Avengers, then yeah. we would have her, yeah. Kamala, Ms. Marvel, yes, and- um, Kate Bishop. Yep. Um, AKA Hawkeye, Hawkeye. too. <laughs> yeah. Hawkeye too. Um, you know, then you could then you could roll into other characters like um, Ironheart as well. Yeah. She's yeah. young enough to fit into the Young Avengers. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, does Maya? Maya does, yeah. I don't know. I think Maya's character. She's so interesting. She doesn't really. She doesn't need that. Play with others, does she? She's more of a solo. Yeah. She's uh, you know she rides a motorcycle. She's got that whole thing going the surly yeah. yeah but she can hang out with jessica jones absolutely i think they would get on uh but no it's it's echo it's five episodes on disney plus now it's the first of their spotlight series but i definitely would recommend it and i think there's a lot i think it's doing a lot but what it's doing i'm enjoying oh and you can of course also get well maybe not of course but you can um you can watch it with a chop to old dove yes as well which i thought was very cool hmm. so Uh, Let's go out of that with a track from the show. So it actually uses quite a lot of existing music. We played Burning at the start of Zero G today, and that is the opening credits track, from, and that's from the Yeah, Yeah, Yes. Um, Unlike a lot of other Marvel TV shows which rely really on a composed score, like I said, this one has a bit of existing music. So let's listen to When We Remain. This is by Samantha Crane, and it's played a couple of times in the Echo series. So. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Yeah, (laughs) we had two tracks there. One was from Echo. Yes, and that was When We Remain by Samantha Crane. Our second track in the bracket was uh, Reanimation by Jerskin Fendricks, and it's from uh, the Poor Things OST original soundtrack. Mm. 
Jerskin Fendrix is a British electro-punk artist. <laughs> I don't think he's done too many soundtracks, mm-hmm. but this one's already garnered quite a few award nominations, mm-hmm. as had the film Poor Things. I was looking at the... The noms for it, and I'm thinking, oh my God, this has already taken off. Yes, yes, the latest from our mate Yorgos Lathamos. Now, I was watching um, The Killing of a Sacred Deer oh, last night. Oh, God. Before I you went all to right? sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. It's, um, well, another one. It's actually a science fiction film, this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. So we've seen a few of Yorgos' uh, films before, uh, mostly off the back of Melbourne International Film Festivals, I have to say. Uh, you know, so there's um, Dogtooth, mm-hmm. 2009 psychological drama, uh, written by him and Ethemis Philippou, um, where... A husband and a wife were keeping their children ignorant of the outside world. Uh, and that, that was one where they were blurring the line between human and animal too. Ooh, and a, lot of these, a lot of these tropes appear in this Poor Things movie too. 2015, The Lobster. Yep. Again, screenplay by Lanthimos and Elthemus Philippou. Um, it's got Colin Farrell, Rachel Weiss, Jessica Barden and Olivia Coleman in it. Yep. Uh, and then that one... Um, uh, singles had to go to a hotel and find a partner within a set amount of days or else be transformed into animals. Yes. As yes. you do. It got – and it gets more hectic from there. <laughs> and the one I was watching last night, uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, psychological horror with Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. Uh, again, screened by – played by the same people. Um, it is, this time they were uh, riffing off um, Iphigenia in uh, All This by Euripides. Mm-hmm. So uh, that one featured a very odd entanglement between a doctor and a former patient. Mm. Uh, this one, this one is based on, uh, and that's poor things, based on the 1992 novel by Alistair Gray, uh, who died in 2019, but he did have some meetings with um, Yorgos before then. Scottish writer, yep. artist, muralist, uh, science fiction and fantasy okay. and history writer as well. Uh, mostly interested in uh, English and Scots literature. Mm-hmm. Um, painter. <laughs> and he used to illustrate his books with his own typography and illustrations. A bit of an all-rounder was Alistair. And so he has enthused, infused this 2023 science fiction black comedy film, mm. Poor Things. And this did come out in some markets just before Christmas. Yep. Uh, but I saw it this year. And I'm kind of thinking, is it one of the great films of 2023 or 2024? Doesn't matter. Can straddle both years quite easily. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's been adapted by Tony McNamara, who's mm. an Australian playwright. Yes, and he also worked on Lathamos's The Favourite. Yes, yeah. So there's a bit of an ensemble thing there. Yeah. Um, he actually studied writing at RMIT oh. and uh, screenwriting at the uh, Australian Film, Television and Radio School. So, you know, very much a local fellow there. So I think this is uh, – how do I describe this without giving too much away? All right, Emma Stone plays the character of Bella Baxter, mm-hmm. mostly just known as Bella. Uh, there's something very strange about Bella, and I mean Dr. Strange <laughs> level. Uh, she is in 19th century London, but it's not our 19th century London. It's 
very much actually a multiversal alternate universe London, mm -hmm. which becomes apparent pretty much in the first <laughs> 10 minutes of the film. Uh, we've seen Emma Stone before, of course, in things like uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, where she plays Gwen Stacy, Zombieland 2, uh, Birdman. Yep. She's in that. And, and the Cruella. Favorite. And the favourite. Yeah, so she's one of the uh, the uh, ensemble that um, that um, our director has picked up yes. along the way. And she's going to be in another anthology film after this. Oh, okay. By the same director. Okay. Now, we first see her playing a – well, we first see her – planning to jump off a bridge. Okay. But later on we see her playing a piano with her hands and feet, which is normal, mm -hmm. you know, playing the uh, the pedals of the feet and the hands with the keyboard. But she's actually using all four limbs on the keyboard. Okay. Which is less normal. <laughs> yeah. She is an amazing character in this, Bella. Mm. Um, let's say that she has no filter, mm -hmm. no restraint and no baggage. Okay. With no knowledge of her other self. Okay. I won't go too far into that. It is an extraordinary role for any actor. Yeah. And Emma Stone goes to town with this, then comes back, then goes off again. I've heard she's quite exceptional, actually. It is. I reckon she should get the Oscar right now. Just give her the Oscar. She's a bit of the favourite for it, I think. Yeah. Because, as again, I've seen the list of uh, nominations and wins that this is already chalked yeah. up. So, oh. Okay, she plays this like a little bit like um, Billy Piper in Penny Dreadful. Okay. Crossed with Ava Green in Penny Dreadful. So she is. What a combo. She is unhinged in this. Um, she likes to walk on rooftops, speak her mind plainly, but not always in a grammatically correct way, okay. at least until she does a bit more reading. And even then, she gets it wrong a lot. Doesn't matter. So I have nothing but praise for this immensely physical role. Yeah. Uh, she's a producer of this film too. Yeah. Well, apparently she's been in talks with Lathamos about this character and kind of mm. doing this film for years and years. And they work together to kind of think a bit about the physicality of Bella and how she'd move. So she's really immersed and invested in this role, I think. Well, they were looking Quite at um, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Dracula film for inspiration ah, and there's a lot in the movements in this that I felt. Okay, yeah. You know, because she's like gangly and doing yeah. all sorts of strange evolutions and a little of the photography, cinematography is a little bit like that in parts. Oh, okay. And, of course, because that's set in the uh, 19th century too, mm -hmm. this one has that same kind of eth strange sort of alternate fantasy. Yeah, fantastical. Thing. Yeah, bit... absurd is the word I'm yes, looking for. Yes, yes, okay. And, and surreal too. Uh, anyway, look, I could talk about her performance in this for ages, uh, but all I can say is as, as a producer, she's entirely to blame for everything that's done to her and that mm. she does. <laughs> so no exploitation here unless she's doing it herself. So Mark Ruffalo is playing Duncan Wedderburn, mm -hmm. um, a lawyer who expects to be a kind of Pygmalion to Bella. Okay. <laughs> Boy, is he wrong. He is so wrong. Oh, dear. Well, you know, we know Mark from so many different things. Um, really juicy role for him in this one. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how Poor much. choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, it is <laughs> eviscerating, basically. <laughs> 
Um, he sets out to be the rake hell, the person who's going to seduce Bella, who's going to show her the world. Oh, I bet I see how this turns out. <laughs> Doesn't sound like she'd be up for being tamed in that way. Um, well, it t- yeah. Well, you know, he takes her on a, a continental romp and it just is what it is. <laughs> he actually deserves to... Some kind of Oscar for this too. Most hollowed out character. <laughs> now, William Defoe is mm-hmm. in this film playing Dr. Godwin, God Baxter. Okay. He's another person, as we talk about with uh, Wilson Fisk, another person who's suffered from an unfortunate family, an upbringing where the father was extremely brutal to him in the name of science. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Um, this is, again, and I could easily say this was another Oscar-winning performance with Defoe in here. You know, look, we've got a strange bit of synergy here of Emma Stone being in Spider-Man and William Defoe being the Green Goblin and all these other great roles. In this one, he is physically scarred uh, due to unholy medical experimentation. He cannot make his own gastric juices, so oh. he has to burp. Oh. Bubbles. Oh. <laughs> you know, these little details, yeah. it's like... I won't be the first person to say that this is like if Wes Anderson made a horror movie. Mm. It's you know. whimsical but not quite whimsy. Yeah, yeah. There's not even symmetry though. <laughs> Look, um, the uh, God character is into his own unholy medical experimentation okay. yeah, um, and does work on animals too, mm. although we don't actually see him doing that. We just see the kind of results of that which are... Um, Dr. Moreau-like hybrids and things. A little bit unsettling. They don't, they don't look unhappy. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, all of the you – know, Defoe's performance in this is first rate. You actually – it is such a – you know, we've been talking about twisted family dynamics with Wilson Fisk and uh, Maya Lopez, but in this case you've got that same thing going on, but it's actually healthy. Yeah. Oh, okay. As, as sure. much as I can tell, like in an Adams Family way. Right. Oh, okay. That's it's actually nice kind of creepily sweet. Yeah, okay. I can see. <laughs> uh, another, another actor is uh, Rami Youssef playing Max McCandles. Yeah. Or Candles, as Bella calls him. He's uh, the assistant to Dr. Godwin. Mm-hmm. We've seen him before in um, a show called Mr. Robot. Yep. Mm. Um, and also uh, Christopher Abbott plays... Um, uh, a character called Blessington. Uh, we will know him soon if you bother to go and watch the Craven movie. He's one of the villains in that. Okay. Uh, Catherine Hunter plays Madame Swanee, a, um, a brothel uh, uh, madame. Uh, we've also got um, Hannah Shigala playing Martha, um, and she's been in so many films. It's like a list as long as my arm. Oh, yeah. An older actress, and she's been in everything, so it's nice to see her here. Uh, Vic Pepperdine playing Mrs. Prim, and she's a comedian, an English comedian who's uh, playing basically a prim and proper uh, housekeeper who's continuously scandalised by everything. The goings on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, this film just did my head in. (laughs) He does that though. That's his his mo. Yeah. Look, I'll I'll tell you up front. It is a graphic film. violence, um, sex, so much sex. It's partly set in a brothel in Paris, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, unfli- unflinching there. And the fact that Emma Stone just goes to town on all of this stuff, you've you, you got to uh, be amazed at a person. I know it's acting. I know The commitment. The commitment to that is just unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> 
Um, so, again, it's uh, about family in a weird way, loss of blood relatives, odd relations. Um, I can't – I don't know exactly how this plays as a feminist film. I was too gobstopped by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it, it can be seen as that and I'm probably not the person to judge that. Uh, it played like that to me. I felt like there was a sort of a suffragette socialism subtext to the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Uh, it really is extraordinary. She is, she has no filter, no no luggage, no shame or mm. anything. And set in the 19th century, that's a really interesting contrast. Yeah, right. Like women's roles and what a woman is and yeah, such and yeah. such. Yeah. Wow, okay. It's really boggled you, I think. It has, actually. The costumes are amazing because it's not that period costume. Yep. It's a fantasy thing. uh, Holly Waddington did the costumes for this. She did Lady Macbeth, War Horse, Clash of the Titans, so she's already off planet. The production design is by James Price and Shona uh, Heath. Um, So basically you've got buildings by Gaudi in a sort of a fantasy art nouveau fashion and vehicles by studio ghibli (laughs) (laughs) what doesn't this film have it sounds like a real patchwork of i don't even know what it doesn't have the slow pace of um, other yorgos films okay it's very fast paced and snappy even though it does run at uh, i think about 114 minutes yeah right um no, it's 140. 140. Yeah. Okay. They sped by for me. That's oh, Yeah, over two hours. That's bold. I mean, everyone's doing it these days, but it's a bold move still to pull it off, mm. I think. It actually starts in black and white uh, and then uh, segues to the most fantastic colour palette that I've seen in a movie <laughs> for a while. And it's a, that fisheye lens that he's always yeah, using yeah. too, you know, and it makes sense in this one. This is just an – I will warn you again – it's not a film for the kids. Yes, oh goodness, no. <laughs> not safe for work in any way. Well, depends on where you work, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> but yes, it, disclaimer. It's, ex- it's yeah. extraordinary, mm. you know, and I can easily see this cleaning up all sorts of award categories. Uh, you know, following it, and it's actually all of a piece of the of the director's films. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm. It's, I, I think he's a fascinating director. I think he's someone who's really pushing boundaries. So They even mention Australia. They say it's far away and dangerous in both animal and people. Well, <laughs> true then, true now. True now, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll have to go out with a, tr- with yeah. a track. Uh, not from – or do we have enough time to do the, the, the uh, both? Let me just check my timing on that. We might not. No, we might not. Nah. I'll save a track from um, – and you know, Google the uh, the Portuguese dance. Check out a, a okay. clip on YouTube because it's in the trailer or something like that yep. to see Mark and uh, and Emma cutting the rug <laughs> in their, you know, Committed channeling from both of them, channeling Wednesday Adams via St. Vitus's dance. Oh, dan- yeah, dance scenes are in this year. So we're going to go with a Californian track here uh, from a band called Kill the Bats, which I find very. <laughs> nauseating a concept um, but it's from an album called Happiness Isn't Good Enough For Me and it's David Bowie versus Frankenstein's Monster so Perfect. I thought I'd do a Bowie, Bowie sort of thing coming up next is Kate Reed with Astral Glamour and thank you to uh, Key Watt from Banksia before our show today and good to have you back Megan great to be back thanks Rob thank you G'day this is Rob Jan thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. 
Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.